How do social entrepreneurs and small businesses create an authentic brand people love so they can get the edge they need to stand out, create predictable revenue, and compete against the big guys? That's what we're here to discuss. I'm Adam Force, the founder of Change Creator, and this is the Authentic Brand Mastery Podcast. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the show. This is your host, Adam Forrest. Um, I'm very excited for today because we have a, an incredible conversation with somebody I've been very eager to talk to. Um, and her name is uh, April Dunford, and she wrote the book, Obviously Awesome. So her master, you know, skill is not branding, you know, not design, not marketing. Um, it's dialed into one very specific skill, and that is positioning. She specializes in positioning products and brands in the marketplace, and she goes against the grain of what has historically been taught and explains why that is and why it works so much better for today's um, you know, way of thinking about business online. Now, we're going to dive into that conversation with April, um, and she works with tons of companies and just like teams from, you know, really massive brands. And, you know, she has just dialed in this process. So we're going to break it down in this conversation because if you're not aware, positioning is something that is the the keys, to, one of the keys to the kingdom for, <laughs> for selling and converting at high rates. And that's something that we work with our clients with very, very seriously and diligently. Um, so we're going to get into that. All right. Now, if you missed last week's discussion, was another killer discussion, and it was with one of my mentors. You know, he is a guy that is a Facebook ads expert. His name is Aaron Parkinson. He's the CEO of Seven Mile Media. They've you know had over a billion dollars in return from their ads. Um, just incredible, incredible uh, insights from Aaron. So we got into a lot of the strategic thinking that makes ads work, right? So it really will help you unlock uh, the success with that stuff. Um, so if you missed that one, I would definitely go back and check it out. That was a, a really fun conversation with just a ton of good insights. Okay. Um, don't forget to leave us a review guys. Really appreciate it. If you want to show some love and give us support, if you're liking the show, um, you know, we'll get a, a little bit more, um, momentum, uh, with your help. And that always goes a long way and we appreciate you tuning in. Um, yeah, last but not least guys, check us out at changecreator.com. If you got an e-com business right now, we would love to hear from you. Uh, we're doing amazing work to help you scale those sales and convert more customers. So reach out, let's have a call. We would love to uh, see where you're at and, uh, if we can help you out. Um, that's it guys. We're going to dive into this conversation with okay, April. Okay. Show me the heat. I know you're going to dig this. Hey, April, welcome to the show today. How are you doing? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing fantastic. Glad to have you. Um, yeah, I'm pretty excited. Yeah, I, you know, after reading your book, like I just mentioned before we jumped on live, um, you know, it was really refreshing. So anybody listening, her book, obviously awesome. We're going to talk a little bit about that, but more importantly, the contents of it and why it's so important to, you know, your more modern business thinking today. <laughs> um, April, just before you really get into it all, if you could just give people that introduction in a nutshell about what you got going on today and how you got there. Uh, yeah. Well, okay. So I'm April. My background is I spent 25 years as a repeat vice president of marketing at a series of startups. I think I did seven, six of those got acquired. 
Um, but more recently in the last five, six years, I switched to consulting. And what I focus on is positioning work. I work mainly with tech companies, uh, mainly on the B2B side. Um, and uh, yeah, my, fo- my focus is really just on positioning. I don't do branding. I don't do messaging. There's a very long list of things that I don't do. <laughs> and the list of things that I do do contains one thing, and that's positioning. So that's my jam. Love it. Special. You're a specialist. I'm a specialist. <laughs> um, so one thing that comes up a lot, and I'd like to hear your perspective, um, and I should probably help, I should probably define positioning for people real quick. Let's do that first. Let's do that before I get to my, my real questions. Why don't you just give people the context of sure. positioning? I sure. think a lot of people listening, you know, they skip the strategic planning a lot or they do the yeah. basics that they've heard like i know who my audience is and i know you know the basic stuff right so yeah. i don't think they get very deep in these things can you define positioning in your terms yeah so so much like you said like positioning is kind of a misunderstood concept which is pretty surprising given it's not a new concept it's been around since the 80s like since pre-internet we've known about positioning Um, but it's pretty misunderstood so most of the time when I talk about positioning I end up having to talk about what positioning is not so I'll say you know it's not messaging it's not the same thing as messaging in fact positioning is an input to messaging Um, people talk a lot about brand positioning and those two things are connected obviously but I do think positioning is an input to branding and branding is something very separate. So uh, positioning kind of like you can think of it this way. If everything we do in marketing and sales is the house, positioning is the foundation upon which the house is built. So my definition of it goes like this. Positioning defines how your product is the best in the world at delivering some value that a well-defined set of customers cares a lot about. That's my definition of it. Yeah. And it's interesting because I used to go through conversations with clients and we would really be discussing the full brand strategy and you could talk about this perfect customer profile and then you get into positioning in your methodology. Right. And there's, there is some overlap there and I'm starting to go, wait yeah. a minute, maybe we need to start with the positioning conversation first and edit some of this perfect customer. Cause now these two worlds, I mean, those are, when it comes to selling, converting sales online, I'm really seeing, you know, these two worlds are the most important to resonate, right? That customer positioning. Um, And so a question that comes up a lot that I'd I'd like to hear your perspective on is positioning the company versus positioning the product, right? We work with a lot of e-commerce brands and, you know, they have many products. What's the top seller? Which one's the biggest profit margin? What, what are we talking about here? Am I positioning the company? So, yeah. I mean, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, so this is a good question. It's one that I get a lot. So, um, so sometimes we just have one product and then we don't have to worry too much about positioning the product versus positioning the company. It's just one thing, like if I'm Slack, right? My Slack, not Love anymore it. since they've been acquired, but I'm Slack and I'm Slack. There's no difference between the positioning of the company, and positioning the product. I'm a one product company. Um, but then you get situations where you do have multiple products and then it's like, well, you know, do I position each product individually? And then what happens with the company? And so typically the way this works is there's kind of a hierarchy to it. So there's positioning for the company, which answers the question, why do business with us? 
So, you know, and if if I'm a big company, like let's say I'm IBM or Salesforce, I've got positioning that covers all the products underneath that, that basically answers the question, why do you want to be in business with IBM? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, that's, and that's where IBM at a macro level will say, well, you know, we have hardware, software and services, and this is why you want to get all three of those things from one company. Um, if I'm Salesforce, I'm going to talk about platform and cloud and all the things I can do across CRM and sales and marketing and customer success and all that stuff coming together. Underneath that, you've got individual products or, you know, and usually if you're really big, you've got divisions and then you've got products underneath that. And these things tend to cascade. So um, what I've got, so for example, when I worked at IBM, we had IBM positioning and then we had positioning for software group. Like, why would you want to buy software from IBM? And then it was like, and then I was in the database division. So then it was like, why would you want to buy a database from IBM? And then, you know, I sold a thing that was not a database, but in the database division was an information integration tool. Why would you want to buy my information integration tool? <laughs> yeah. And so generally these things cascade. Um, most of the time, what you've got is kind of two, maximum three levels of this. So why do you want to do business with us as a company? And that positioning takes into account Account, the capabilities of the of all the products together. Like, why are we a good partner for you yeah. uh, for certain kinds of companies? But yeah. then the individual products kind of tuck in underneath that and say, like, this is why we're a good partner for you overall. But here we are today to talk about this particular thing. And here's why this particular product is the right product for you right now. So they yeah. tend to kind of, you know, hierarchically align with each other. Yeah, it's kind of like parent positioning. <laughs> A little bit like that, yes. Um, and, and how much time are you spending when you go through this process with clients? You're still working with clients today, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And what's yeah. the, I mean, is this like you're sitting down for two hours and going through positioning um, and, and does it matter how big the company is and how much time is spent here? How many people in the room? I'm just curious on some of the variables that come sure. into play for you. Yeah. So, you know, when I started doing this, the engagements were longer. So uh, and it was mainly because uh, of inexperience in my part, I think, like I started out with these very long, drawn out engagements. But the, the one of the things I learned quickly um, from working with companies is that um, if we can get the right people together in the room from a company, we can actually move fairly quickly. So typically what we want in a positioning exercise is we want representation from marketing, sales, product, customer success, and the CEO, founders, whoever on the executive team. The reason we want that is because each group sees customers in a particular part of their purchase and using journey. And they have a different understanding of what customers care about and what they don't care about. I actually want to get all those people in the room so I could pull that information out of them. Typically the way I work with clients and, and again, this is most of my clients are B2B and even more specifically, a lot of them have um, salespeople involved in the motion. So if I can get the right people in the room, we can generally work through positioning in a week. So we do that through a series of group sessions with me facilitating, and we're working through my methodology, which is kind of a step-by-step way of getting through the components of positioning. Right. Right. Okay. Interesting. And so- I guess. And how long now have you been going through this process and developing the methodology? Well, the methodology, I started using it 
for myself when I was a VP marketing. And, you know, I think I first cooked this thing up maybe, gosh, 15 years ago, maybe. Um, and so I used it myself internally, and I'm probably positioned a dozen or so products using that methodology after I after I came up with it. And then since I've been consulting, I would say I've probably done maybe 200 companies ish in, in the last five, six years. Um, so I feel like this thing has been pretty proven out at this point. Um, <laughs> yeah, I would say so. I think you have a lot of things. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, you know, I don't know this for sure, but I feel like maybe I position more things than any other person on the planet. <laughs> I don't know for sure, but I suspect maybe. Sounds like it. It sounds like it. So in your terms, help people understand, you know, why, what role positioning is actually playing. And because I want them to understand its importance and what it actually does for their marketing. Yeah. So here's one way to think about it. So positioning is a bit like context setting for products um, or a company if we're trying to position the company. And what I mean by that is like context is kind of how we figure stuff out, particularly things that we've never encountered before. So if we encounter some new thing we never encountered before, we'll look for clues in the context about what that's all about. It's a bit like um, it's a bit like the opening scene of a movie. Like you walk into the movie theater, you sit down, you know, a little bit about the movie because, you know, you bought a ticket, you know, maybe you saw the trailer. But when the opening scene comes up, the job of the opening scene is to orient you in the story. Right. Like and you you got all these big questions. Where am I? What time frame is this? Who are these people? You know, why should I care? How should I be feeling right now? Is this funny or sad? Like and so (laughs) the opening scene answers that question. If you go to the movies and you see basically any American movie starts with a panning shot of the city skyline and it's like where am i what's going on oh golden gate bridge in san francisco or it's like oh you know like you know some landmark and they're like oh i know where i am and then and then it'll zoom down in a neighborhood and you'll see cars and clothing and so i'll know whether this is present day or set yeah. in the past. And then there'll be some set piece with the first character and you'll be like, oh, you know, this is funny or sad or whatever. And now, now I'm all oriented and I can settle in and pay attention to the details of the story. Positioning's a bit like that. If I show up and I say, hey, I'm a CRM, that triggers a whole bunch of, of assumptions in your mind. You're like, oh, you're a CRM. You must be compete with Salesforce and you must have a, a set of features like tracking deals through a pipeline, a whole bunch of right. other things. Right. But if I show up and say, no, 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 I'm not a CRM. I'm team collaboration. Oh, well, that's different. Now, now you're competing with Slack and everything else. So positioning kind of helps customers orient themselves. It's a bit like you're taking a customer, you're picking them up and you're placing them on a road that leads to your value. And more importantly, it's not placing them on a road that leads somewhere else. So if your positioning <laughs> is bad, what happens is customers show up and they go, oh, I get what you are. Uh, you're, you're, you're just like Salesforce. And you go, no, actually, we're nothing like them, you know, and then and then sales and marketing has to kind of get you. No, no, we're not that. We're not that. We're over here. Um, So that's really what we're trying to do in positioning. If we think about it, we can take positioning and we can break it down into component pieces. So positioning kind of is the big answers to these questions. Like so the first one is competitive alternatives. Like if you didn't exist, 
What will customers do? I got to position against that in order to win a deal. Uh, Next thing is, what do you got that they don't have? This is differentiated capabilities. But more importantly, we can translate those capabilities to value, which is like, I have these capabilities that my competitors don't. So what for your business? So so what for the customers? So I differentiate value. And then it's like, well, I'm not actually trying to sell to everybody here. I'm trying to sell to people that are really good fit for my value. So who are those good fit customers? And then the last one is market category, which is a little bit like the answer to the question, like, what are you, you know, are you email or chat or team collaboration or what is it? And that's the context I position the product in such that this differentiated value is obvious to these customers I'm trying to sell to. Yeah, I I mean, I love that. And I think the context example is really helpful for people. And, you know, when you get into that stuff and you start finding where you fit in, right? Like you mentioned, what makes us different? What's the value? Well, who cares? Why does that value mean anything? Um, Do you find that when people are getting clarity working with you and going through that process, this feeds then a lot of their messaging and other narratives. So now they have an angle around everything that they're talking about. That's exactly it. So um, in the work that I do with clients, there's actually two pieces that we work on together. So the first one is I want to get clarity and alignment across the team on these five component pieces. Most of the mushy positioning you see out there is it comes from the team not quite being in alignment around who our best fit customer is or what our value is. And you got sales saying one thing and marketing thinks something else and CEO thinks something else. And this misalignment results in the stories a little bit changing all the time and it's a little bit mushy. So the first thing we'll do is we'll all get clarity alignment around the five things. Who do we compete with? What do we got that's different? What's the value? Who cares a lot about that value? What's the market we're going to go in? But once we have that, we got to kind of develop a narrative around that to communicate it so that everybody really understands it. So the second piece that we work in in the workshops that I do with clients is we'll work on kind of like you could think of it as like the story of your point of view on the market. So, you know, the reason you built the thing the way you built it is because you woke up in the morning and you said, you know what, CRM suck. I'm going to make a better CRM (laughs) or, you know, email sucks. I'm going to make a better email. And you built it for a specific set of customers to achieve a specific kind of value. Once we get our arms around that, then we can build this story, which you can think of as almost like a sales narrative. Like if I was sitting across from a person that doesn't know too much about my stuff, How do I tell the story of, look, you know, here's the problem you're trying to solve, or this is the situation. Uh, You got choices in how you go about solving that problem. Here's the pluses and minuses to other choices. But holy cow, look, there's a big gap in the market here. And we are built to fill that gap. And if you can fill it, here's the value to your business. And that's why you should pick us. So we'll work this story or this narrative That then gets used, you know, if you have a sales team, that gets turned into a sales pitch. Uh, If you're doing this all through marketing, that's our point of view on the market. And so now we got to figure out how to communicate that point of view across all the marketing stuff that we're doing out there to communicate, hey, this is us and this is why you should care. Yeah, that's interesting. And and I love the story. I mean, storytelling is such a big part of, you know, great yeah. marketing. <laughs> and um, I had somebody recently who uh, was one of my advertising mentors and he did the ads for Ezra Firestone, who's, you know, created Zipify. And he also made this cream uh, for 
women. And he's like, who the hell wants more cream? We have all the cream in the world. We don't need any more hand cream. <laughs> right? <laughs> he's like, so how are you going to sell this thing? And so Ezra came up with a story about um, society's point of view on women over 50. And he started marketing and positioning against that whole like emotional trigger and right. not even selling the product, just marketing, 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 positioning, positioning. And right. then when he went to sell the product, they made like 70 million in three months. <laughs> right? it's like, so when you bring but it's up true, like you have these markets that on the surface of them look really crowded. And you'll say, oh, my God, like, how can we, you know, like we look just like everybody else. And this is so crowded. Um, but the reality is in every crowded market, there's an underserved segment. Yeah. And if you can figure out how to be valuable to that underserved segment, like in this case, you know, well, you know, the, the, the over 50 women or whatever. Um, yeah. If I can figure out how to be valuable to that segment, then there, I can make a lot of money. Uh, even yeah. if I'm not trying to sell to everybody, I'm just trying to sell to this piece of it. And I think that's an interesting mentality because you don't have to own 100% of the market. Okay. You need to just get your piece and you're good, right? If the market's big, if the market's big you don't. And even, even, if, even if you start by just serving one segment of the market, that doesn't mean that you're not going to grow in to eventually be in the market leader across the board. Most successful small startups, how they get started is they're very successful in a beachhead market, like a small market underserved by the market leader. That's what gets them established. And then they start pushing the boundaries of the market where they can win until eventually they become number two. And then you're going to challenge the market leader. Yeah. Yeah. So how often are you do companies or should, if ever? I mean, I look at these types of documents that we use to guide our thinking, right? As living, breathing assets. How often do we revisit these things? Yeah. So here's the thing, like, you know, on the one hand, we don't want to be changing our positioning every week because then our messaging needs to change every week and all this stuff. And no, you know, the, 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 the customers are just getting used to your positioning and then you're flipping yeah. it around. Um, in the work that I do with companies or even when back when I was a VP marketing, um, we would get the gang together. We would work on the positioning and then we would have a standing call. And in, in my case, it was usually every six months where we would get the whole team back together again and we'd run through the exercise and say, OK, competitive alternatives. Has anything changed? Are we seeing different competitors in the market now? Uh, differentiated capabilities. Maybe we had something that was differentiating, but the competitors have caught up to us now, so it's not differentiating. Or maybe we put out a new release and we got something that's new that's contributing a whole different set of value than we considered the last time. If nothing's changed, then we don't change it, right? If it's working, we're not going to fix it. Um, but if something big has changed there, we want to go back through the exercise and see maybe we need to tune the positioning or maybe we need to change it outright. The only exception to this, like every six months thing, is if something big happens in your market that is, you know, potentially going to impact your positioning, you want to call the emergency positioning meeting. So this would be something like, you know, big competitor of yours makes an acquisition. It really changes your positioning. We got to go back and think about that. I worked for a company once where we, uh, we were, uh, we, we had a strategic partner and we had positioning that really aligned with this particular strategic partner, but then our strategic partner got acquired. <laughs> and so oh. we had to have the emergency <laughs> meeting, like, Whoa, hang on. How does that change things? And then we had to do yep. an adjustment. Yep. 
And so, and then, you know, and then we had this positioning and it worked really well for another six months. And then the company that acquired our strategic company, they got acquired. And then we had to go back and redo the positioning again and make a big change there. Um, a lot of companies that I've worked with in the last two years, they repositioned when COVID hit. And then they repositioned yeah. again a year later when we started coming out of COVID yep. um, because, you know, COVID had such a big impact on their business. So yep. when something big like that happens, you need to go back and check in on the positioning. Otherwise, you really don't, you know, you you should have a standing meeting to check in on it regardless. And I used to do this once every six months. I know companies that do it every, every quarter. And what you're looking for is, has anything changed that would require us to do an adjustment in the positioning? Okay. So that's interesting, right? And you don't want to do it too often. That all makes sense. Big market changes. Okay. Um, I would be curious to hear your thoughts on sales because mm -hmm. if you are positioning something, now you can have your position and you, just like you talk about, you have a story on how you're kind of expressing this position. And there may be many angles that you can go with within that positioning, right? For a sales story. Um, but can a quarter go by, six months go by, and we're saying, our sales suck. Like maybe we need to reposition this. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yeah, Absolutely. how do you know you have your positioning right? I guess it's coming down to it. Is, is well, this sales is this used is as a benchmark. This is it. Like the trick is, how do you know the positioning is working or not working? Yeah. Is the question. And sales, I think, is the best way to take the temperature of that. Like when I got hired as a brand new VP marketing, people would be like, "Okay, April, new VP marketing. Like your job is to get those leads flowing. Chop, chop. Get the campaign spun." up. And I'd be like, well, let's just check in on the positioning first, because what I don't want to do is spin up a bunch of campaigns on top of this weak positioning. Right. So what I would do is I would go in and sit with sales and listen in on sales calls. And what you hear, if the positioning was weak, you'd hear a handful of telltale signs. So one would be um, customers would come in. I got a sales rep does an excellent pitch, you know, and it says like, this is what we are. This is what we do, whatever. And then, you know, you get about halfway through the pitch and the customer's like, uh, back up. We pitch it to me again. What it is. All right. Confusion. From the sales reps. Like they'll say, oh yeah, like it usually takes two or three calls before the light goes on. And then they, and then they have this epiphany. Oh, this is what you are. The other one you'll get is. <laughs> People will think you're a thing that you're not. So they'll say, oh, you're, you know, you're exactly like uh, HubSpot. You'd be like, oh, my God, we're nothing like HubSpot. Nothing. Right. And they'd be like, no, 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 back up. So that's another sign. The other sign you'll get is people will say, oh, I get it. I get it. I just don't know why anybody would pay for that. Right. So it's like I get I get I think I get what you are, but I don't get the value at all. Yeah. Value, and so okay. you'll hear this in the sales team. And so if you hear that in a bunch of calls, usually. And, and at the same time, you've got happy customers that if I go talk to them, they're like, you will pry this thing from my cold dead fingers. I love it so much. Then there's a gap here between what your super happy customers understand about your product and what's happening in marketing and sales. For some reason, that light is not coming on. And so yeah. that's typically a positioning problem. And you're trying to close that gap. I need you to understand what these happy customers know, but I need you to understand it before you get to my sales team, ideally, or at least when you get to my sales team, I need to have a pitch that makes that crystal clear. And so everybody goes, yeah, yeah, I get it. And when, what you hear when the positioning is really good is the customers come in and the marketing's so good and the positioning's so good, they don't even call you unless they're a good fit. And then they come in and they're just like, 
dude, don't give me the sales pitch. Just tell me what it costs. <laughs> <laughs> this I is love what those. you want. <laughs> I love those. Add phone call sale. Goodbye. Right. Right. Exactly. <laughs> and, exactly. And, and you know, if you have it down right and you know your audience, you should be able to do that. I always, I always believe in having a short sequence. If you can't do it in one, two, three, then the long sequence ain't gonna work either. <laughs> well, this you is know? it. Like you, you'll see it. A weak positioning shows up in these long, long sales cycles where, and again, like the most common thing I'll hear when the positioning week is weak is the sales team will be like, yeah, you know, it takes us two or three calls before they get it. But once they get it, it's good. And it's like, why is that taking two, three calls? Like, why, you know, why is that not even happening before it reaches sales? Like, what are we missing in our marketing that people don't get it? And then they get all the way to sales. And then even when they get to sales, the first pitch doesn't do it. So that's usually a sign we got some tightening up to do. That's a problem. That is definitely a problem. Interesting. (laughs) Oh, man. So, yeah, it sounds like to me there's just some things to take a pulse on. So, you know, take notes, you know, anybody listening. These are I feel like these are so important. Um, And when you get the positioning right, I mean, you mentioned in your book that you should that if you don't, if you haven't had a number of sales and you don't know like the person who actually understood your product very quickly, right. Or your company. um, And they were like the ones that already believe in what you're doing and see the value. Like I literally, you know, after I kind of expanded my perspective, reading your book, I wrote down my top five customers and I just word vomit, everything I knew about them. Oh yeah, they're doing wholesale, but they felt this way and they did that. And I had a whole page of this, right? And then I went through the exercise based on those people. And when I made my next ad sets, it was, it was, you know, much, much better. So what about the people early on? Yeah. You talk about how there could be you know, maybe it's a hypothesis at first, right? So it is exactly that. That's the best way to describe it. Like at the beginning, like you're not making the product out of nothing, right? Like, so you've gone and done customer interviews or prospect interviews and you've done your research and all this stuff. Yeah. But what you've got is a positioning hypothesis. And you're saying, here's my best guess. You know, I I compete with these folks. Here's how I'm different. This is the value I can deliver. No one else can. These are the people that are going to love it. This is the market I'm going to win, but it's just a hypothesis. Yeah. And so then you're going to take it out to the market. And my experience, is we're never 100% right on that hypothesis. Like yeah. usually we're partly right. Sometimes we're completely wrong, like completely. It's <laughs> happened to me a couple of times. But usually what it is, is it's like some of it's right and some of it's not. So my advice actually to folks when they're in that situation is you can actually keep the positioning a little loose at the beginning. Like later on, you want it to be as tight as it possibly can. But when you're just launching, like, what you want to do is have it kind of loose and feel a little bit where the market's pulling you. So, and you don't want to cut anybody off that might be a good prospect, but you just don't really understand it yet. So here's my bad analogy that I always use. I'm going to use it because I don't have a better one. So So you, it's like, pretend you invented a fishing net and your hypothesis is there's a fishing net for tuna. It's the world's greatest tuna fishing net. Now I could launch it into the market and say, there's a tuna fishing net. I'm only going to sell to tuna fishermen. Maybe it works. Maybe it doesn't. Mm, what if I got it wrong? Right? So yeah. instead I think you can launch it and say, 
this and that for fish, like all kinds of fish, big <laughs> fish, all kinds of big fish. And then let's get it out there because you're going to have to do some heavy lifting to get the first few customers anyway. Yeah. Let's get it out there and let's see what the fishermen pull up. And, you know, what you might find is like, oh, gosh, turns out it's amazing with grouper. And I wasn't even thinking about grouper because I didn't know about grouper. And now yeah. I see like everybody's fishing the heck out of grouper. At this point, I start seeing that pattern. I can tighten it up and then go be the world's greatest grouper fishing net. And I'll get the tuna guys later. Yeah, so, that makes sense. Kind of like that. So, you know, even though I'm the positioning gal and I'm all for really tight positioning in the early days of a product, it's okay for it to be loose. It's going to feel bad because the pitch is going to be loose and everything's yeah. going to be loose. And you'll be like, this sounds really mushy because it is. But I think it's better to do that and wait till you know where to tighten it up than to artificially tighten it up somewhere. And you've actually closed the door that should have stayed open. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. And I, I feel like when you go through it, even in that stage, um, would you agree that, you know, understanding where you fit in, like, cause if you know who you, if you have a hypothesis on the customer and you're looking at, well, what, what makes us different though, we got to really, where do we like fit in to make this really a sellable company? Yeah. Like, why would anyone care about us? You need some way, some angle there. So how you're different and the value. I think those two steps that you have in your oh, listing important. are like really key, no matter where you are in your business. Right. Like totally. And, yeah. and we don't like technical founders in particular, right. We, we tend to think about features and we assume that customers can do the translation between features and value on their own. And often they yeah. can't. Like yeah. we have to really think about that. Like we've got this feature. So what? So what? What does this actually enable for my customer's business? Right. Right. Like that's really the nut of good marketing and sales is deeply understanding. This is my value that no one else can deliver. No one else can do this for your business. And the twin side of that is who gives a shit? Like, <laughs> like so who's Why actually really yeah. fit for that? Because not everybody cares about that value the same. And so if you can figure that out, I'm really tight on this is the value I can deliver. No one else can. And these companies really care a lot about this because X, Y, Z, if I can figure out the, those two things, then I got a business. Yeah, I like that. The one thing I made a note on, um, I just want to we'll wrap up in a second. Um, when we were talking about creating the sales story around mm -hmm. the positioning. Yeah. I'm curious, how often do you see the brand story tied into that? Like why we exist kind of like the bigger brand story? Well, like sometimes it's super important and, yeah. and the brand story is actually differentiating. And, right. And right. So, yeah. You know, it, it's a reason why people buy you. And in those cases, okay. it's yeah. really important. We bring it in sometimes less so to be honest, like, so, like sometimes it's the, the brand story just isn't all that important. People, it's a utilitarian product. They just want right. the thing because it does a thing and it solves right. a problem. And I don't need, you know, and I, you know, and the branding stuff is kind of maybe some icing on the cake or whatever, but right. you know, so it really depends on how valuable that brand story is. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, ideally your brand story is reflective of your value and it's all together in one thing. Sometimes yeah. people have something with their brand, you know, like there's a, you know, 
something that's deeply important as part of their brand. And that's part of the reason why people pick you. Then I think that becomes front and center, center, uh, you know, and that's, that's key to your value. Sometimes it's just a thing you're doing because you're a good company and you're good people, but your customers don't actually care. And the real value is something intrinsic to the product. And that's okay. If the, you know, you keep doing the good thing, but it just doesn't become the centerpiece of your sales and marketing. Yeah. Yeah. Customers just don't care that much. Right. So (laughs) it's really about, Care. We care. We're all glad you're doing it. <laughs> well, then you flip flop it. You make the brand story. And by the way, did you know this? Oh, even that's icing on the that's cake. Right. <laughs> icing on the cake. Right. It's icing on the cake, but it ain't the cake. It ain't the cake. Exactly. Yeah. And I love that. So we'll, we'll wrap up there. So April, um, appreciate it. Everybody. April is the author of obviously awesome. It's a great uh, book on positioning. If you haven't read it yet, super easy read. I actually didn't read it. I listened to it in the car. <laughs> I narrated uh, it too. So you get like, you know, four solid hours of my Canadian <laughs> accent. <laughs> it was good. It was good. It was fun. Um, so yeah, where can people learn more about you? And I know you got a site for the book and stuff. Stuff, if you want to throw that out there, please. Yeah, I'm aprildunford.com. And so you can go there if you're interested in finding out stuff. But the book is called Obviously Awesome. And that's on Amazon or anywhere else where you buy books. And I don't really do social media except, uh, you know, occasionally Twitter. And I'm at April Dunford on Twitter, too. So if you Google April Dunford, it's pretty hard to miss me. Yeah, you'll come up. You'll come up. April, I appreciate your time today. Uh, really uh, fun chat. OK, thanks so much. Thanks for tuning into the Authentic Brand Mastery Podcast. Don't forget to stop by changecreator.com for more information, fresh articles, content, and our services if you're looking to build a brand that people love. And please stop by iTunes, leave us a five-star review. We appreciate your support.